Please listen to this important disclaimer in its entirety. All participants of this Thug Crowd Radio episode are characters. None of the stories told during these episodes are based on facts, truth, or reality. All works of fiction displayed during this episode that resemble real-life situations are coincidental and are not meant to serve as guides or tutorials to commit any crimes in any country. Please consult an attorney for local laws and regulations. And as always, trust your inner criminal. Cool beans. Cool. Cool beans. Special. Cool. What's up? Hello. Hey, yo. A little Windex. Zero days this week. Potato. Potato. Hi. <laughs> uh, let me get rid of this little thing here. So yeah, welcome everybody to another fantastic episode. Special episode, I would say. That's very enthusiastic, you. It's enthusiastic because we got a lot of things to celebrate. We're currently on Periscope. I think that's a good move. Yeah, honestly, I mean, there's a good amount of people just watching, and that means that they're just, they have Twitter open somewhere. It's on their phone. That's really funny. <laughs> Twitter and a tweet. Yeah, it's actually pretty cool that it embeds the video itself in the tweet. Um, and hopefully, I'm going to figure it out. It's probably going to be another long night of uh, writing a, a bot with whatever obscure API they have um, to make it work, but we'll see. Um, but yeah, we're we're trying out some different layouts, different everything. Um, we're you, currently why, running. Why is that? Why are we doing that? Why are we doing that? Yeah, uh, do we need to explain maybe? <laughs> um, sure. So I mean, yeah, we're basically what we've been working on together. Um, we we want to be able to stream in a way that makes it easy for us to be more collaborative and be able to trade off duties and fix stuff and basically have each other's back. So we have things that are now running um, pretty smoothly, actually, in uh, in the cloud. And we're trying to make we're trying to offload a lot of this sort of stuff, make it easier for us to do crazy things like the stream, the 24-hour stream that we're going to do, which will this will make it a lot easier for us to just point our uh, our stuff at one single location rather than have one poor person try to take in all that traffic themselves. Um, some of it also is to not rely on single vendors to carry our show. Absolutely. So yeah, we're also trying to get, we're trying to experiment with more platforms in general so that we can have, we can test our, how people actually like to to watch the stream because as much as we want to be a podcast, this is more of like a, like a live radio show or even in some cases you can even think of like a, like, like TV where we have you know, visual components, people are interacting and everything, and we're kind of blending a bunch of things together. And we don't want to be stuck or bound to one single uh, platform. But the reality is nowadays that the landscape of, of media consumption is very, very uh, spread out. People get their news and their content from all sorts of different places, and some only rely on one. 
And so it's hard to figure out where everybody is. So I guess we can just test it out and see how far we can go. Oh, yeah. That's very diplomatic of you, by the way. Yeah. I mean, it's it's good, though, because, I mean, there's there's stuff that we're going to cover later on tonight that has to do with this as well, um, where there are, you know, companies that, that get pretty big and they become the, you know, single entity almost monopolizing, um, for lack of a better word, a lot of industries and a lot of uh, gateways to things that are now necessary, such as video or email or payments. Um, we have a lot of, uh, we rely a lot on different backends that we don't necessarily control. And so it's good to keep your options open and stay vigilant for new things that you can integrate with in the future. We are the captain now. Ha, ha, ha. Actor's so badass. <laughs> um, but yeah, so how's everyone doing tonight? Anybody do anything cool over the weekend? Yeah, we had uh, CISO CTF. CISO CTF. Oh, oh yeah. Um, well, how'd you guys do? What rank were you guys out of? We ended up, so I don't think anyone was seriously playing, but a few people just jumped in, did some challenges. We were very loose about it, and we placed 163rd out of the 850-odd scoring teams. I didn't count the teams that were, like, just got the first flag, which is worth one point only. And uh, that was the 80-something, 81th percentile, I think. So for people who didn't try very hard, we did all right. Yeah, I mean, it was it was funny to see because I didn't even realize that when it was actually starting and I saw the whole channel, our CTF channel just light up and everyone was in there posting stuff, being like, hey, I'm just, you know, doing whatever and kind of just throwing information in there. It was pretty good for something that not a lot of people knew or expected to happen, but for something for people to just jump in on a weekend, it was cool to see that people actually wanted to, to help out in any way they could. So everyone's just like... Yeah throwing XSS payloads and using the bot to spit out, you know, uh, x86 assembly. <laughs> Good stuff. There was um, some pretty funny stuff where, uh, you know, like somebody would solve a challenge already and then the conversation would switch to, hey, how did you solve it? And then two or three people go off and discuss how that's, you know, it even worked and then didn't worry about just like the next points. It was kind of like, uh, I think Decoded was working on, um, uh, remote debugging QMU, like x86 and QMU stuff. And then, you know, he was working with a couple of other people after they already got the flags. Like, let's, let's do it again and we'll show you how it works. Like, so yeah, that no, that cool. was really cool. Some, a lot of, I feel like a lot of CDF competitions get pretty bloodthirsty as far as uh, wanting to win and stuff. So I think it's cool when we can sort of work on it as, uh, as friends and teach each other rather than like strictly want to only get all the points, you know. Yeah, I just posted a link to some of the write-ups about the challenges too, uh, in voiceless voice and in chat. Oh, awesome! Thank Anyone you. Anyone wanted to like see what they were about and see like how to solve them? Yeah, there's a lot of really cool CTFs that have been. Like, I guess I feel like more CTFs are just getting established, and they're, they're awesome. I'll definitely take responsibility personally for the amount of negative flags that we submitted. Uh, there was one challenge that was a an algebra challenge where you need to this is a computer riddle challenge this is not a computer hacking challenge and uh you needed to connect to this telnet port and it would just spit algebra at you and you needed to solve for x and they um they got harder over time but i was kind of getting tired so my actual basic math code was bugged and i was too lazy to fix that so i just did like while true do um <laughs> run the script and try and until it gave me a series of problems that would score like you know that it would actually solve 
Um, and so there was, you know, 10 gig of lo like output logs from that before it actually solved it. I was just like, whatever, I'll just leave it going and I'll just go do something else. You know, it's really uh, that's awesome. It's an interesting phenomenon too, because if you're working on something that you're just not getting any wins on, it's really, it drags you down. And so... yeah, the thing was, it was like the, the biggest thing for me was it was a computer riddle. Like it wasn't, it's not a hacking challenge. Like one of the forensics challenge, I submitted two flags within a four minute window, like on two forensics challenges, right? So the first one took a bit longer. But the second one was really quick. And that was m more like something you might do, like Good actually. Deal. So, the, you know, that was like, but then when it came to, you know, I might've spent a couple of hours writing computer riddle code. Yeah. No, that that one, uh, the one you're talking about with the uh, the L-shaped blocks. Yeah, I spent yeah, that uh, one quite was a few hours. Real crazy. I spent a while looking at that one too, and it's not, like some of the stuff for CTFs is is straight out of like homework assignments, you know. And I'm like, I didn't go to school for this stuff, so I don't even know like what the language is to like look this up. I'm like, how do I fit the blocks in the blocks? Like, you know. Yeah, I played Tetris once. Surely I forgot this. <laughs> Yeah, but it's it's pretty cool though. I I wish that I could have spent more time. I think it's still going off Flare on uh, the Fire Eye Challenge. Yeah. That one's cool. really cool. Um, it's really intense. Like people, people who solve those. I saw last year somebody had solved the whole thing with just uh, like dead code analysis. They just looked at at like the raw, like disassembled binaries, and they just like solved everything. I'm like, oh, that's wow, that's really smart. I love it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. There's a really cool, and I have a video of the. Um, I'll share later on, but yeah, I love that. So I'm glad everyone's able to, to take on new challenges and bring them to a team and be able to do cool stuff. Uh, well, speaking of all that, uh, Louisie, thanks for uh, thanks for the bits on Twitch. Oh, yeah, thank you. Oh wow, people are actually doing it. Yeah, we have, I forgot the little integrations I put in here. There's the the event counter up there. So thank you. I don't really know what bits are, but thanks. They like money. Oh, They're cool. Internet pennies, yeah. Nice. It's like pennies. points. But so speaking of CTS, though, um, anybody who is interested and has not signed up um, for, I'm about to, to put more people on, um, go to our, our third card CTF page at weekendhack.in. Um, it is just our page for our 24-hour CTF stream for charity. Um, and so there's a bunch of slots. A lot of people are flexible. So you can kind of just, if you see a slot you like and it says flexible next to it, just, you know, let me know. Um, the information on how to contact me is in there. So, I can so you, how does this charity work? How do people pay us to hack computers? Uh, well, the information on that page, uh, there is a donation page. And it, it benefits the Children's Miracle Network Hospital's uh, actual... Some of them who do people who do this do it for the actual hospitals in their like given location. But since we're all over the world, I just put it as we're benefiting the organization's like uh, infrastructure itself. So the people who actually run the hospitals and do all the paperwork for everything and pass all the money, give them a little bit. So we're donating for that, and that money eventually goes to helping um, you know provide services to children's hostels programs all around the country and the u.s so it's pretty awesome i mean i think it's pretty cool there's a bunch of charities that do this kind of stuff we'll see what they see what it's like with them see how much uh 
we can actually generate. I don't. I, I set a really high goal, but I mean, we can we can see where we land. Um, the whole I guess the whole point of it is to have fun and try to do something for people that isn't just uh, for yourself. Purely hacking. So <laughs> you, you made this a challenge. How much money do we need to raise for charity to us to be successful here? Well, always the type of person to have a lot of uh, lofty goals. I think I set it at ten thousand. Wow. All right, let's do ten thousand then. <laughs> but yeah, let's we have maybe hundred bucks. So yeah, um, we can definitely make it smaller if we have to. But um, I mean, it's no, let's do ten thousand. Make this fun. Regardless, I mean, this is something that will benefit people. So no matter what we make, we don't have to like you know, like if we, if we make our goal or not. If somebody donates to help little kids, that's awesome. You know, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. But ten thousand dollars is a pretty cool goal. Is cool, bro. Uh, you know, that is a good goal. Thing. Let's go for it. I think this is a legitimate uh, charity enough that you can have your employer match what you um, what you donate. So maybe look into that with your HR department if uh, you're serious about doing something like that. That'd be cool. Just match and do CTFs. But yeah. Um, all right. So do you guys want to get into the news? Let's do it. Alrighty. So the first uh, item of news here. So. I, if you guys can see, this is a, an ASCII flowchart, which is using one of my favorite tools, which, where did I post it? <laughs> ASCII flow. Um, this site is really cool. Um, as you guys probably know, I do all of the uh, ASCII art for the show notes, and I love ASCII everything. So anybody who wants to put out a pretty looking flowchart, um, you can definitely use that to kind of color, color in the the different boxes and, and arrows and everything around your text. It's uh, pretty awesome. But so, yeah, the show notes here, um, I guess just follow along with the little arrows if you can see them. Um, so yeah, the first one we have here, it's really interesting. So the EU passes their uh, copyright law with link taxes, and it's really complicated reading through this sort of law, reading through what people were saying about it, Reading through the original drafts of it that it changed was interesting. It, it was basically trying, to, long story short, is trying to put people who make content, trying to give them money when people link to their content. And in theory, it sounds okay. But as you know, they're using, you know, content recognition algorithms that flag everything from like white noise to someone just talking you know as as like content uh copyright violations for stuff so i feel like the there's the technologies that would actually make this possible i don't know if it's actually possible to do to have a perfect content flagging algorithm it's not um, it's not it's just another way of fucking with the people that they catch and stacking charges yeah. that's that's right now though dan i think 20 years from now, it is legit. Really? Yeah, I, dude, we, 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 we say, like, things aren't possible. Like, uh, 10 years ago, I'd say this wasn't possible. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that it wouldn't be possible, but as of right now, I feel like the technology is still too young to put it as a sweeping legislation for any internet that happens in the EU. Yeah. No, this is, this is total garbage from the EU. Kind of like GDPR was, right? It's a very generic sweeping regulation. GDPR yeah. like tore stuff up though. 
for real. There's a lot of changes that happen because of that. And we're going to see a lot more like it because people are going to view it as successful. Well, I mean, hey, if you have the right to be forgotten on the internet, it's a powerful, powerful thing. And that almost turns the tables back around to the way it was in like the 90s, where we could we could have things in our past that we don't uh, really want out there. Kind of cool. I, I agree. So GDPR was for us, against us almost. Am I wrong? Well, there's, it was a big thing. What's, what was against us, though? Uh, just copyright law, link taxes, all oh, that yeah. stuff. No doubt, no doubt. Sorry. Fuck copyright. <laughs> right. I mean, we all kind of speak about things on our own terms, and copyright law interferes with that. Yes. Yeah. No, I, I just, I think it's it's definitely another sort of heavy-fisted thing that shouldn't happen right now. But as you're saying, in the future, definitely possible. Who knows what sort of quantum computer they'll use to tell you whether or not that is David Bowie. So well, at they, least they would have to use AI, right? I mean, well, you, that's what they're probably saying that they're using right now. But on YouTube, on the the music app uh, identification services, they're all they're all kind of bullshit. Like they'll detect remixes as the actual author when remix law exists for a reason. EFF's a huge proponent of it for a reason, because without remix law. You get one version of a song and that's it. And there's plenty of songs that have been redone over the years that sound way better than the original. Yeah, we we all end up being a victim of this, right? I think large corporations try to insulate themselves against these laws. They're risk adverse, uh, and we end up being the essential victims, yeah, yeah, whether yeah. it's right or wrong. Just think, if we didn't have, if we had this uh, like copyright law enforced as hard as it was, and we did have uh, some really bad AI stuff, we might not have songs like uh, the Carly Rae Jasmine Nine Inch Nails uh, mashup. Call me a whore. Exactly, dude. And you just took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nine Inch Nails <laughs> specifically is a huge one, and like he allowed it. No, that that exact track. That that yeah, anyway, I'll show the fucking awesome. right. In a scope records, right? Like, oh come on, MG. <laughs> um, yeah, no, definitely gotta keep looking out on this because the, the other thing people are saying is that this would eventually it could eventually lead to more censorship on the internet. Um, especially with the fact that there are very blatant copyright trolls everywhere in all sorts of fields. And so this could just be another way for people to use the systems against other people. I think there's it's a new attack vector. Of course. But I think there's one thing that is new about the last five years. And I'm I'm in no way sticking up for uh, Stormfront or any of that. But I think back in the day, Weave or whoever could have just taken their property and moved to a different host provider and nothing would have happened. But we saw a big change um, where they were pretty much just eliminated from the internet wherever they went. And yeah. uh, I think that could happen with copyright too, if we're not careful. No, definitely. It's 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 a slippery slope. It's the same as any other sort of censorship, you know. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, <laughs> there's a lot to say about it, but I feel like we could go on and on. But the next story is also related to this, which is, it's pretty just 
sad. <laughs> um, I, read, I couldn't believe this, by the way, when I read the article. Yeah. So um, Herman actually told me about, about this a bunch. I didn't know that the people on uh, different chan sites have been targeting um, ASMR people and like doxing them and harassing them, um, just basically fucking with them in any way they can and, and calling them all sorts of uh, demeaning misogynistic stuff. Um, and so they basically, there's a, a couple different services. PayPal is the most shocking one where people who use PayPal literally have been banned for life and can't access the funds that they use probably to pay a lot of bills um, because somebody reported them as making pornographic content, basically, and saying that oh, ASMR wow. as a genre is a pornographic thing yeah. that is you know, inherently sexual in nature and is specifically for sexual purposes, you know, and a lot of the, I mean, obviously there are going to be, you know, sexual ASMR stuff, but that's, that's few and far between from what has historically been a genre just pretty much made by young women, which is awesome. It's a cool thing that people can so, do. You? What's up? You, I'm a noob. What's ASMR? So ASMR, uh, I forget the full term. It's in here somewhere. Uh, what is it? Pike, you're a bastard. It, um, I am an asshole. Well, the, <laughs> the acronym doesn't matter so much. Is yeah. The way so the concept is is basically to you know talk in in a calm voice and make sound effects that are in the kind of play on the sort of like binaural beat sort of uh, you know sub subconscious way of uh, of like accessing parts of your brain to to relax you and so it's actually been been studied uh, people yeah it's, it's more about a sexual response to actual music or sound or something that actually gets you off that is auditory yeah like, i will as much as we want to say that like uh you know it's mostly made by young women if we look at the top asmr twitch streamer right now uh she is all about showing her boobs. But, but and that's ASMR. Well, okay, so there are people that obviously exploit this stuff. The same thing with the people who do that with anything else on Twitch. Sure. Um, exactly. same thing with, yeah, yeah, yeah. But as a, as a thing, though, as an actual genre, I've, I've seen a bit of it. I mean, a lot of it came from early Japanese stuff that I've seen on YouTube of people doing that. And then it came and it expanded. And it was just another thing that people could do to make content that would, you know, generate some revenue or just be something to just contribute because they like to do this and they 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 enjoy making it and people benefit from it. And mm -hmm. so regardless of any of that other stuff of people, you know, potentially, you know, showing too much cleavage or whatever, that sort of thing still is going to exist anywhere. So I feel like that that is beside the point. The mm -hmm. thing that people do with with actually harassing and targeting these people is just to shame them and to just make them feel like shit because they are somewhat successful and for some unfortunate reason popped up on some uh 4chan guys uh you know youtube stream a uh, youtube like uh dashboard then not only that they're getting the legitimate ones it sounds like are even getting their funds cut off by paypal mm -hmm. yet again and i'm just yeah. gonna put it out there i i don't know how any of you in the audience that have paypal deal with them they're freaking scum like they will lock you out you won't get your money there's a lot of problems with uh paypal 
we uh one time we had a problem with paypal one year taking uh funds for a conference and uh they oh, locked the, they locked the account for a little while eventually it was sorted out but it was a very clear and obvious use like everything was very well laid out and correctly linked to you know tax and all the things and uh paypal had a cry they about it and they still yeah, yeah. Demand it. that's crazy but I think yeah if we abstract this a little bit and we look at like solely content creators like forget that it's asmr for a moment it's content creators creating content uh for people who want to watch it and uh, giving them money for watching it and it's not pornography just like us yeah and this is exactly have, why you know, bitcoin exists right this is why uh this is why cryptos exist. Cryptocurrencies exist. There's like spank coin and stuff. Um, oh. That's the argument they make is why, why should there be a middleman between you and the content creator? Um, yeah. Dictating what two consenting adults can do with each other over a video. Ultimately, that's um, going to lead these kinds of shows that we're doing or any show that's a little bit controversial. It's going to lead us towards a path where we rely on distributed infrastructure only so that we can't be Absolutely. So, the so I, have a, I have a shitty question to ask. Sure. Uh, why do we depend on or deserve uh, someone else's platform to spread our message? We don't. We don't. No, we don't. Right. But, that, but that's what we're talking about, right? We're talking well, about a we're talking about how shitty paid platform or it we're is shit, about how shitty like, it is. But what we're actually focused on moving towards, I think anybody would want to do it, is focusing on distributed technology so that you don't have an owner yeah absolutely but the, the, the shitty situation it doesn't, it doesn't really matter we you can see that these guys going after the asmr uh ladies the same way they would go after um like boxy or someone like that who was making money from like youtube revenue just for no reason just just to right. be little to be asshole. dicks right and right. and I look at how, this, like a, this is a, this is a free YouTube. market challenge yeah it kind right of, but there's also there's also trolls out there that do this stuff just for fun. They want to flag people, get them banned, get them reported. Uh, Make them feel powerful against you know like women and people who right. do anything. It's just it's it's literally it's just whole... misogyny, but with with uh, reporting buttons. Yeah, and um, and if there are if there is a reporting button, then you could guarantee that there's idiots out there that'll press that reporting button over and over and over again. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. I'm just saying until we have a free note on the internet for real, we're at yeah. the behest of corporations. And corporations want to make, Absolutely. Want to make friends. There's already there's quite a lot of distributed platforms right now. We were yeah. talking last week about PeerTube. Um, there's a lot of... YouTube, there's yeah, basically bit, bit, BitTorrent in the browser. Like there's WebRT, WebRTC peer-to-peer BitTorrent video now. Uh, and it right. works great. So driving um, drive so, the adoption of that is the, the actual solution. Absolutely. That's 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 exactly what happens. People got driven away from Dig and went to Reddit. People are being driven away from Reddit. They go somewhere else. I mean, uh, I'm not a fan of Alex Jones, but he was deplatformed essentially, right? By, um, well, he's still Silicon Valley well. corporations, but he's doing fine. But, but the fact of the matter he's is got, he was removed from large websites, but those are private entities. And they're like, I, I'm... Uh, I'm stuck in the middle here, right? I want to be able to allow people to say what they want, feel what they want, do what they want. But at the same time, um, we don't operate in a society that actually allows for that. I think it's weird. The Alex Jones one, we could talk for hours on, but he's a weird character when it comes you to mean, all this. Because he's like, 
he's I was just watching his stream like about 15 minutes before we started just listening to the craziness and trying to figure out why people would watch it and he in those few minutes said things that were pretty threatening to a group of people it's freaking crazy so he's he panders to a a common denominator that's why well a common denominator of one are you, are you sure? No, an IQ level of one. Well, that was a terrible joke. Uh, <laughs> Dude, the sad truth is, it's kind of whenever we do First Amendment stuff, it always kind of comes back to you. I will listen to anything unless it disagrees with me. And it's just kind of the sad truth that, like, if we want this thing, we're going to hear shit that we don't want to hear. Yeah. Listen to anything as long as it's not posted on WordPress. And people will listen to what they want to listen to. Yeah. People look for things they want to hear. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, like I was just saying, I was just listening to him and watching him because he still he, has a platform. He just had to go a little bit extra and build it himself. He was he was the and that's what he should have done. Agreed. Well, he did. He did this before YouTube existed. He was po- he was banned everywhere, and he still kept posting. He had thousands of sock puppet accounts. You can't stop Alex Jones. Wow. If you search for Alex Jones videos on YouTube now, I guarantee there's like a hundred that have been uploaded in the last twenty four hours. Well, he say? got great press off the Indie platform. If part of your selling point is that you're a victim of the man and then the man actually victimizes you, yeah, that's good news. That is, that is a hot topic nowadays. So talking about ASMR, do you think it's just weird and it's like in this weird uh, limbo because it's another way that people can just simply like fucking, you know, please themselves? Is that what you guys said? I, I have a pedantic going back in on this whole thing. That's well, the problem. People shouldn't care. I mean, uh, like, I've, everyone's watching an ASMR video, right? I don't find them particularly pornographic. I just, but they do seem affectionate. And, like, that's the whole problem. People are just weirded out by just anything and everything. Like, who gives a shit if someone's whacking off? Let them, let them do it. But that's not exactly. ASMR, that's porn. But, but also though, imagine if somebody were to, to to do that to our videos and then accuse us of being porn. What do you That'd think I'm high. doing right now? Yeah, there's at least a, a Well, I, I wouldn't, I mean, regardless, I, I feel like we wouldn't mind that, but if that were to get us banned from, banned from accepting money online because somebody says, hey, you're porn because I jerk off to you, that's pretty <laughs> shitty. <laughs> for, for the record, what happened to these videos is not an, any individual or even group of individuals' moral decision making here. This was uh, weaponizing of their automated reporting platform. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and the problem the is, go, there's what? not a lot. I was about to say, the problem is that there's not like companies aren't uh, like they don't have any incentives like to fix the report buttons, right? I mean, they there's just a large, hits there's a large the problem. there as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like but, that operationally, it yes, is all right to choose or pick everyone's side per report is not possible, especially when you're platforming for millions or billions of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, and it's it's that reason. Yep, you gotta you gotta weigh the the amount of loss of profits they're getting um, there against how much it would cost to police that. I mean, I, fuck loss. It's about the cost, right? How do I address well, everyone's complaint? How? Uh, true. But you, <laughs> yeah. if, if they weaponize this and went after, I don't fucking know, what is the biggest um, niche of, of YouTube that's pulling ad? Yeah. I don't, uh, 
gaming, gaming mean, videos. Fuck, right? fuck right. I'll spin up a bot network That's... and I'll complain against anything I want and it becomes a problem. So it's a, it's a lose-lose game at this point. We have to Let's... rely on the automation. Let's have a look at something yeah. though, like where we, um, if you look at way back when Zuckerberg was in front of the Senate and they said to Zuckerberg, uh, the Senator who, uh, it, it, was, it was a loaded question and it was fucked up and he gave a shit answer. But the point where well, the question was, how come right now on Facebook, there is 20,000 pharmaceutical stores selling opiates within America right now. And why haven't you taken them down? And the answer, let me get back to you on that. Well, the answer was, yeah, the answer was, uh, you know, he started saying, well, we're building better, better AI. And the guys, the guy, the Senator just didn't want to hear it. And I think it's a case of like, that's a, that's a case where using the automation is required because no, like you take one down and bots put 10 up. I don't know. Every one you take down, the bots take 10 up. But this is different because it's There's like the reverse. So it's the opposite, right? I think it could There's be a fair. fundamental problem there, right? There's a fundamental issue with the fact that we're, uh, now platforming corporations with social networks yeah yeah definitely it's it's also personal responsibility though like for these pharmaceutical things on facebook for instance if they're committing crimes or if they're delivering pharmaceuticals from a facebook page it's not facebook's problem it's their problem and they should get investigated that's i will it. agree with that that's a line that should be drawn. It hasn't been. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm hoping it eventually will be. Cause... That line always ends up being laid on the platform, right? Not the user or the yeah. subscriber or whatever. Hey, yep. maybe we should uh, go to the next topic here, uh, which I thought was in very, very sad. Um, this was about the Bristol airport that was hit by ransomware. And there was another one that was hit by ransomware recently, too. I forget which one it was. But... The, the thing that sucks the most about this is the fact that airports have to process a lot of data, like way more data than I would ever want to process by hand. And they had to write out on pieces of paper every uh, flight time as it's updated in real time. Welcome to 1982. Yep. Actually, isn't that what they do in air traffic control in uh, O'Hare Airport in Chicago? Aren't they land ship by hand? Well, I, I mean, the thing is, is that it's it's about like the operational change, the cost of that, from an organizational standpoint. If you are used to having all this data go in, I mean, imagine it at any other job. Imagine if you had to write down every customer that logged into your website um, on a given I, day. I, I do have to write that down. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> we write software to handle this stuff, and it just it's it sucks to see the kind of thing that happens when also it affects travel um, and affects, you know, if, if you don't get that information about a flight change because it's written on a piece of paper that somebody is running from one terminal to the other frantically trying this to is a, This is a real world disaster recovery scenario, right? Who's ready? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I mean, think about it, yeah? Who's ready? Do they have a DR plan? Do they understand who has to do what? Do they know yeah. what fails and what doesn't? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's a huge like part if, of it. If, if your real deal is write shit down on a piece of paper, then you have a problem. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's definitely something to learn from, though. It makes me think about what would happen if this would happen to me in some scenario. Um, so yeah, the next story we have. Uh, it's pretty interesting, too. I'm actually... I'm sorry in advance. <laughs> 
So uh, Linus Torvald apologizes for years of being a jerk and takes time off to learn empathy. This is pretty cool, I think. I, I, it's hard to say because people have many opinions about Linus Torvalds, but I think that if this is truly the case and he wants to actually go and take time off to learn empathy, which is fucking hard. It's pretty hard to, if you're not somebody who's prone to being empathetic and you are used to writing kernels all day, uh, you probably don't really have too much room for a lot of other stuff that might uh, lend towards being more compassionate and understanding of people's feelings. Um, actually, at Faith, we were talking about this the other day about how it's, 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 you know, human interactions are completely, it's, it's hard for people who are super used to computer stuff to interact with other people sometimes because you have, you know, a finite state of, uh, of inputs and outputs and you can predict them and, and write, yeah. you know, software to control, but with people you can't. And it's just, it's cool to see if this, he, if this is true, that he's actually going to do this. That's cool. I think. Well, I mean, he—he he, the reason why he's not a, like a C, a CEO, executive kind of businessman, and he's still working every day on the Linux kernel, is because he's horrible with people. And he's I always, think that's pretty obvious. We, yeah. So, so Linux, he, Linux has always been the developer. If you look at right. the Linux kernel for too long, that's what happens. You turn into one of those guys. <laughs> that's um, kind of like if you if you if you're one of us for too long, you become that guy. Absolutely, like and we all we all risk that. Like we could all we could all disappear into our little caves and 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 yell at people online all day every day. And uh, if we're used to dealing with computers that that do exactly what we tell them to all the time, um, because it, we become these perfectionist kind of ultra control freaks, um, and that's what kernel developers are. And that doesn't work in the real world. You can't like control other humans with the sheer tyranny of your mind. Um, Actually, you in can. The real world. Whatever, bro. But in the real world, <laughs> like the cute chick at the cafe, she doesn't give a shit about your Linux kernel. And if you've been a dick to her, then she's gonna spit in your coffee. Um, and people like Linus, you know, they they don't they live in their own little kind of ivory castle. They never deal with normal people. If you, if you read the mailing list post that, uh, between like Linus Spender, like the, the one post that involve like Theo and he puts his two cents in, like all the, all oh, those God. people that are like, you know, it's a fucking, it's, it's literally a soap opera of autistic nerds talking yeah. about, the, and, and unfortunately the outcome of the decisions that they make do affect like every machine that everybody you know like at some point everyone in the world interacts with a machine running a linux kernel or maybe a bsd kernel something like that right you know these ideas i love, I love yeah, yeah you know they, they are getting spread out but it's like such a soap opera drama show to watch even if you're just reading it for the security aspects or the update you know whatever reason you're reading it as a developer as security whatever it's a fucking yeah it's, a, it's an autistic soap opera and i love it yeah. I think I think what I really appreciate there, little Windex, is uh, the fact that you called it a soap opera. But what it really is is you're looking at the CEO of a nonprofit directing, and it, it's not cool. It's not great. Hey, somebody's been insulated and been able to make decisions with uh, not so great tone for a long time. But you're looking at a standard company. He's straight up abusive, though, isn't he? Yeah, you're looking at a standard company. 
He, he called uh, Brad Spengler literally. Um, no, sorry. He called uh, Pax a bunch of clowns. Now that's okay. probably the last person I'd call a bunch of clowns because you know the the contributions made from that team have been epic. You know, literally but epic, like in size. You get what I'm saying, though, right? He's treating them like they're his employees. It's just a, right. it's a CEO shitting on his people. He got checked for once, and it worked. Ooh, where? Oh, this. I like it. But then, I don't know. You talk about Linus and, like, how isolated he really is. I think he's just someone who came up with the wrong fucking problems and the wrong issues and the wrong role models. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think he's too. isolated, dude. I think that's a fucking red herring. I think Linus is very much in the spotlight. He's very active. He's very responsible. I'm he's just a dick. I'm saying his upbringing even into that point and into his entitlement is fucking garbage. And I think that he needs to reflect back on like what his actual issues are and go to some therapy and talk to some fucking people because it's really fucked up. And it's not a good well, thing yeah. to reflect on the community. But it's also it's also rare for somebody who's in a position of power like him. Like, I mean, people it can go to your head pretty quickly if you're writing one of the biggest open source projects in history and managing something that is in literally almost every like in, in so much of our critical infrastructure and people. Everything. So I could imagine the amount of ego he would probably be able to attain. But what is cool is that he is is acknowledging that and is also trying to actually seek help. Because how how often does the crazy boss you know, overlord CEO at your company that you, you know, the worst one you've ever worked with, how often would they be so humble to be like, okay, you know what? I fucked up. I should probably do something about this and actually go and act on it. I think it's just pretty rare and it's, it's commendable. It's, yeah, uh, definitely. I give them the benefit of that of this. I mean, it's kind of a ballsy thing to do to pretty much be in the spotlight and go like, hey, I'm a fuck up. I'm going to go ahead and admit that, but I want to go ahead and improve myself for the better of the good. So I'll give him that. Hopefully he actually figures things out because he's kind of a dick. It's going to benefit him in the long run, too, being able to, like, offload some of what he's doing. And I think that communication-wise, it's going to lead him into building a team around him and what he does and being able to alleviate some of the stress because, you know, that's probably where a lot of his anger comes from in the first place. I just really I, hope I, this is a McAfee scenario where McAfee started the, uh, he started that uh, uh, relaxation and, and yoga place or whatever. It was basically he tried to start a cult. That's Dude, you know, here's the like, Les is a dick. Les keep being a dick. He's going to figure out how to be a dick, but gently. And he'll keep doing his thing. This has been 30 years of him. Is this still living organ? That was not subtle. I'm not being subtle. I mean, for real, it's, we, we've dealt with him for 30 <laughs> years. Reed, he's just that guy. And that's fine. It worked. The wrong intention. Now he has to figure out how to work around it, and he will. So, uh, anyway, we got some interesting news on Guccifier, also. Is that how you pronounce it? I've always been saying Guccifer? No, Gucci, it's Gucci, baby. Dang. Guccifer. 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 Lucifer or Gucci? Lucy, Gucci? It's got to be Gucci. I thought it was Lucifer, but Guccifer. It's Gucci fur. Can we refer to it as Gucci fur? It's like the devil's handbag. <laughs> Please. I'm gonna call it Prada, Prada fur. Is it pronounced Gucci? Maybe we've been pronouncing it wrong the whole time. It's actually pronounced Gucci. Dude, devil's handbag. Nah, devil's handbag. That's super. Let it be. <laughs> Let's have him on the show, though. They're gonna extradite him, right? 
Yeah, so he's going to come here for the crimes related to hacking in the election. Oh, whoa, he did get extradited. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, what do you guys think, though? Like, do you think it's... We don't have a treaty or anything with Russia in particular, any of these... Romania. He's Romanian, though. I don't think we even have an MLAT with uh, Romania, but he went on um, a vacation to a country that we do have an MLAT, uh, Mutual Legal Assistance Treaty. And then we nabbed him there. That's how we usually nab these guys. You think that what, that's... You mean, like, uh, why would you do that? Why would you what, To travel? win, man. Why would you go to a, another country? Where not, realize, not realizing that Panama has a secret agreement. After being like a state actor and participating in election fraud, potentially? Uh, yeah, I, I'm not saying that he's right. I'm saying he's... He's definitely made a miscalculation because now he's coming to the U.S. to go to jail. <laughs> I'm just curious if it's actually yeah. him. Uh, yeah, right. It yeah. could be anybody that they're throwing to the walls at this point. It's like 100, 100 accounts for emails and social media. Like, I wonder, does, does anyone have any info on who he targeted or what he got access to? It's a weird story, honestly. It says In the article, it says his targets included former Secretary of State Colin Powell, immediate family members of two former U.S. presidents, former members of U.S. cabinet and U.S. Joint Chiefs of Staffs, and former presidential advisor. So election-related shit. It's a good haul, though. I mean, it's pretty, like, it's, uh, you know, if you are a black hat and you're doing bad stuff, there's a whole lot more to it. Like, I think um, most people in the chat who work in infosec have a luxury of not even ever thinking about any of the things that this, this uh, guy had to, had to think about, you know, um, because if you go to work every day, you, you know, you don't have to be covered for everything because there's big legal agreements. But uh, when you're straight up breaking into other countries and presidents, mailboxes, whatever, whatever, whatnots, their desktops yeah. trying to get their nudes, their, what the, you know, you want to get those uh, Michelle Obama nudes. Damn. Um, so do you, do you really think window. this was do you really think this was a choice of his to come to the U.S. then? Because that brings no. another good point. Like, yeah, he's obviously nah. been targeting U.S. Zero officials. Chance. So. Zero chance. Yeah, sure, he's I mean, just getting sucked up here for more intel. This definitely could be the case. Like we were talking about last week with the North Korean WannaCry uh, author. Um, same thing. We don't even know if it's the real guy. It could just be a guy that they're like, "No, nah, you're this guy now. Go there. Here's a fat Keep paycheck going. for your family." <laughs> red herring do you even even know if this guy exists like is there any evidence on vk or any other saw that too and they're saying he doesn't even exist person right so we don't know 50, does 52 months seem like a light sentence to anybody else uh yeah depending so on he's probably got some heavy shit to throw back at u.s officials and get a lighter sentence for if that's what you're asking this is the guy from canada right we're talking pretty about sure that's canada. the case i thought based on uh like australian uh sentences that have been actually handed out and and time served that's huge i mean i think one of the most damaging cases in australia only ended up with eight months um actual jail time like good behavior and whatnot so 52 months seems like a, a whole lot of long time. Wait, he's going to come out a gang member. Yeah, that's a long amount of time. I mean, for computer crime in Australia, yeah. it's really well, it's not it's also very much at all. The four-year, four-month term will follow a longer sentence in the hacker's home country of Romania. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Oh, so he goes to the gulag after. Okay. Okay. That makes way more sense. 
British is getting a benefit to come into the U.S. for a little bit. They treat their prisoners yeah. somewhat well. Well, they're in California, California because they're near. cost centers or cost generators. Uh, in in the 90s, I don't know when they changed the law, but hacking wasn't even illegal in Romania for a long time. There was just nothing you could do about it. So if someone was attacking you from Romania, that's that's it. Trail just ended there. It's still the, the same. Romanian for, uh, boxes were, were fun to hack from, and attribution so, for Romanians is almost always suspect. For me, anyway. It's like, you, oh, it's coming from Romania? The, it's almost certainly that's like some black hat from America. Do you think that maybe he fucked with Romania's infrastructure, and that's why it's, it's a double bang for him? It could be all kinds of stuff going on, spooky stuff in the background. Maybe yeah. it's, a, it's a swap. Who knows? Yeah. There's actually yeah. a good point you brought up there, um, Faith, as well. That was um, there are still some countries where uh, specific infrastructure is not classified as a computer because it doesn't have dedicated storage. Things like routers and stuff don't have a hard drive. And uh, there was some. So I don't. I don't know exactly where or if they still stand, but I remember. I recall cases where uh, people were not charged because a device that was a network device, a network attached only device with no persistent storage, even I guess had an AND or something, but was not classified as a computer. And people were using those as bounce ops in um, some places in Scandinavia and also Southern America. So check your laws. Also don't do crime. <laughs> or, or do crime smart. One, one crime at a time, right? One crime at a time. Also, shut the fuck up and get a lawyer. Um, so the next story that we have on here, um, nothing really new, but it was just another attack vector for cold boot attacks. Um, <clears throat> this is pretty cool. Though. There's a video about cold boot. Um, I was actually, they mentioned a GitHub repo. Um, I don't know which one they're talking about because there's a few different cold boot technique, uh, videos. I mean, um, repos, sorry. Basically, for those who don't know, cold booting is basically a method of extracting um, data at rest from RAM um, from a computer that is hibernating or in like a low power mode. Um, <clears throat> pretty interesting, though. Um, flashing the chip and then accessing the more bit, which is memory overwrite request. So yeah. They can access. They, yeah. That video didn't show them. That video didn't show them actually accessing the. Uh, Secured password like the hard drive, which is pretty much the base of what I thought they were going to be showing. Yeah, I've seen other video demonstrations of them. I didn't have a chance to grab any more. I wanted to find the, some some specific repos that were related to this, but I couldn't find any. Hey, um, what, that? What, what kind of feasibility is it though? Was, like, was it like it had to be under exact conditions and all this other stuff, or was it something practical? Where somebody could bust through a door on site and get all this stuff done. This is something that you could definitely do on site if okay. somebody was to bring the required stuff. Because basically, you'd have to just open up the, the like the computer. You just, so you have to have physical access, sure. and you have to like actually take apart the computer. But you'd be able to boot from like a uh, <clears throat> like some other like a USB or something, and then be able to access system RAM um, from right before the computer was put in hibernation mode. That's exactly what so, it was. It's freeze RAM, boot from USB, and then get an encryption key. Then it, you, it doesn't you also really need work. to have like actual intimate knowledge of what firmware that computer is running. Yeah, but if you're targeting like an enterprise where everybody has the same laptop, 
if you take Apple uh, for example though, like uh, I, I've I've dumped just the the EFI ROM from a Mac, um, and had a look in there, and there's all kinds of interesting things in there that are you know this is not even the cold boot level stuff. We're not stealing stuff from memory, literally storing uh, keys out of EFI, and it contains you know SSIDs and data about Wi-Fi points, and it contains. Um, hashed passwords, which are pretty difficult to dehash, but I guess Chinese boxes you can buy for 20 bucks on the internet can do it. Um, and uh, what else was in there that was crazy? Uh, Apple IDs, emails, like, um, yeah. But yeah, all this, there was a lot of stuff just stored on a chip. So even if the hard drive was destroyed, there was still some recoverable, identifiable information um, on the EFI chip. And but I believe with like the SSDs, the cache hard disk as well, you can, that's also difficult to destroy. Who do you but guys it's not definitely a cold boot. That's just physical access. That's just Who's physical it? access. That's just a machine shut down. That's, that's, that's after you've formatted, that's everything. It just stays. Just persistent storage. Yep. And cold boot meaning cold storage in this case. It wasn't really <laughs> well put. So what makes it you a viable target for this? I mean, nobody's going to come after you with this kind of an attack for sharing well, Pirates of the Caribbean. That's but part when, of your threat model, right, Dan? What this? <laughs> you, you have to. You have to like when you Talk see about compliance, attack, Frick. When you see this attack, you have to understand whether or not you're actually applicable to this. Are you target of nation state types? Yeah, yeah. Or people who have the actual ability? Oh fuck! For forensics, like law enforcement would would love to have this trick up their sleeve. So when they snatch like a darknet vendor's computer and it's he powers it off, they can quickly power it back on, plug in some device, and do a dump of like recoverable memory. It could be used in airports, whenever uh, you're traveling different countries. You know, I actually believe, uh, I believe in some cases that law enforcement already do have this, and it's not new. I'm, exactly. I believe that as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure I have seen this before. Apart from outside the intelli intelligence agency bad boys, um, this would only really be useful in like an evil maid scenario or a quickly get physical access to a privileged device situation. So it's really, yeah. it's really only interesting for nation state level people, whether it's forensics response or. I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. It's evil like maid for sure though. Thing. Like, yeah. I mean, code hanging. what's the operating system and RAM, you know? Yeah. So if they pull the power, it's it's gone. But if you get this it, well, is, power is still there. Like I said, if this is in your threat model, don't worry about it. Otherwise, keep doing full disk encryption. Can I just um, point out, like, one of the coolest features of Backtrack 3 that was is now no longer a feature in Kali Linux was booting from RAM. Like, come on, man. Oh, yeah. interesting. Where it, it, would it would load the entire operating system into memory, and then you just unplug the yeah. USB that you booted from, and then you turn the machine off, and then lull by. Hey, Ubuntu still Wait, isn't that forensics mode though for uh, Kali now? Sorry, isn't that actually a feature in forensics mode? I remember actually remember seeing that a little yeah. while ago. It's I, been a while since I, I booted Kali live though. There is a way Maybe to do it in Kali. Yeah, it, it used to be like a default one, like on the grub menu in uh, Batch yeah. Three. So yeah. maybe does Tails do that still as well? Uh, that was the whole point of Tails. That like a non-persistent, it totally in memory. Okay, pull the USB drive out now, kind of thing. I faintly remember it doing that. It might be wrong. 
yeah, I think that's the how he does the things off. I think that's the idea behind Tails, though. Yeah, it's all in all in memory. Mm. No, you actually remove the the USB drive after it's booted, though. I mean, I've done that by accident, and the OS has kept working, and I went, "Wow, cool." Guess I don't need this anymore. <laughs> but uh, a lot of the times, it won't do that. So there's like a tempfs mounted or something on the drive. Not sure. Um. Yeah, uh, the next one we have on here, um, it actually, Faith, this reminds me of something that you um, have brought up many times. Um, <clears throat> this XBash Linux malware, uh, it's Linux and Windows. It's basically malware that is, it, it's ransomware with no uh, actual recovery mechanism after you pay the ransom. Uh, it targets uh, databases and destroys them, and it tries to propagate more and more. Um, but it's actually, run with pi installer um as the actual um back end for it or the way that it actually generates the binary awesome yeah <laughs> awesome um but yeah, I mean, chaos and anarchy here <laughs> they have they have no credibility though right because you're known as a as ransomware that doesn't deliver when you pay the ransom, then no one's going to pay. Well, I, yeah. I don't think that's really true you because, tell them that yeah, no, like yeah. the people that you're targeting that are going to get hit generally that are going to pay the single users who are like shooting their pants. They're like, oh my god, I have to pay this ransom. I, how do I do this? What do I do? You know, like old, like older people who just do it who don't google it first they're just going to pay it. yeah and a lot of it's people don't know what like what strain of this and that they got hit with right they just know that they're locked out of their computer and they have to pay <laughs> well i don't know why it has to be destructive if they're just going to lie and get people to pay ransom they don't need to actually destroy or encrypt anything they just need to lock people out of the computer and then when you pay the ransom <clears throat> you get unlocked like what? We didn't have time to actually build that feature as far as the ransomware, though. We forgot the unlock feature. Just ship it. Why does there need to be an unlock? It's just locked forever. And if you make the mistake of sending Bitcoin to this address, then fuck you a second time. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, that, I guess that's the whole thing with ransomware anyway. The whole thing is a fuck you. So, absolutely. Like, why do they even care? Like, yeah. Well, uh, before, the, the, the concept of the ransom was we're holding your data ransom. But in this case, they're like, well, no, you just don't have any data anymore. We're just pretending we're holding your data, data ransom, but your data is already dead. Sorry. So is this, can we call this like category of uh, malware, like fuck you, pay me where? Maybe. Yeah, sure. It was called that. <laughs> fuck you, pay me where. I also like uh, laws and orders says ransomware is so trashy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I like that description. <laughs> it's pretty shit to you. Just trashy, like it is. It's a basic bitch thing to do. Yeah. Ooh, top like, quiz. Who was the first ransomware ever documented? Like uh, running mascara and a broken iPhone. So 1990s. I'm gonna fuck up names here and not remember them, but it was an AIDS researcher who distributed like um, software to actually do research and shit like that, and he gave it a bunch of other doctors, and they installed it. And he was like, "Give me money, fuck you." Yeah, that's so, like, if you ever want to look it up, I'll, I'll post a link on it later. It, it's pretty I mean, funny. Argue, but early arguably, 1990s. Arguably, Windows Windows XP was was ransomware. <laughs> was it some point? 
Hey, no, we Windows found 10. a way to detect that, uh, that this is not a licensed copy, and you got seven <laughs> days left. I see you're so, yeah. trying to uninstall McAfee. Would you like to pay me money? No? Yeah. Okay, you keep it. Um, yeah, so the last one that we have on here uh, was a vulnerability on hundreds of thousands of IoT cameras. What's cool about this one, though, is that it's not just like someone logging in on Telnet with admin admin. This is like an actual buffer overflow that um, got remote code execution with uh, root pribs. So kudos to these guys for actually finding this or these these uh, people because it's not the the typical thing that you just troll on Shodan for. You actually have to like research this one. <laughs> I don't I don't have any ill will towards people that do these things like build crazy botnets in different ways like oh, no. every, everybody calls it skitty stuff right but yeah. have any of the people that call it skitty stuff actually done it no they likely no. haven't it's hard you got to get those connections back to irc somehow exactly um yeah you need to run the modified rap box like you're gonna modify rap box yourself i mean i mean i wouldn't no. know what if you did you would you know you would you not be pie installer somewhere but I mean, regardless, though, this I thought it was pretty cool. Um, just that the I'm gonna read a little bit more about this. I just saw this today, um, but that's actually a so this these cameras um, they're able to then after they do their their overflow, they are able to look at the IP cameras and just hit them with whatever and, and look at whatever's being broadcast. Have there been more than one vendor uh, identified that has this issue? There's been quite a few. I'm not sure if this is. Uh, it says 100 brands and 2,500 different models. Yeah, firmware. so I think it's like a like a whole like probably like a firmware, like a type oh, of. Firmware. Wow, that's cool. Uh, yeah, I, I would have to guess that it would be if it's that many devices, likely one or more bugs in a library that is common amongst a protocol used yep. on the cameras. Yeah, that's could, a good. That's a good. Could point. be a chip. Yeah. 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 So, no. I mean, if you're, uh, yeah, like if you take a look at, uh, I mean, I don't know, the Ubiquiti cameras, for example, they're uh, power over Ethernet and they use um, UBN, uh, so they use uh, RTMP, the same protocol we're using to stream right now. And that can be enabled on those and it feeds back to the NVR and they're all, you know, power over Ethernet. So you, that's Ethernet and lol. Um, Everything is sort of pretty common amongst them, and then if you log into them, they're running a Linux kernel with a pretty pretty standard sort of uh, build. So I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if you took D-Link and some others, and you were just like, oh look, they all use the same set of packages and whatever. So that's that's why I'm like that would be my guess why it's a library. Yeah, definitely uh, interesting. Nonetheless, I'll uh, want to take a look at this later on. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much it for our news. Um, anybody here who joined us um, kind of later on, here are the show notes uh, if you want to read any of the stories that we shared. Also, um, anybody who didn't hear us before, too, if you want to participate in our CTF, uh, go to weekendhack.ing. Um, dot .in. Dot .in, sorry, not ing. <laughs> um, weekend hacking. Um, so yeah, uh, Freck. You ready to get into our talk? I mean, I'm still here. <laughs> I know you kind oh, of shit. Know. All right. Yeah. Well. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So yeah, no, I'm I'm excited to talk to you about this because this is we've we've kind of had a few different sort of DevOps related talks um, over the past few episodes, and it's been awesome because I feel um, just from what I've seen from the chat and from people who come on and actually talk, it's it's definitely been valuable discussion because a lot of people have to scale and they have to do the DevOps thing, they have to do the security as well with it. And they have to understand the sort of, I guess, more open source ways of doing things and working together with bigger and bigger applications. And people just don't necessarily know how to do that sometimes. And they have to, we'll find in some cases, people who are much younger teaching older sysadmins how to do things in the, the more modern way. And so I think it's been really valuable to discuss this. And, and this particular thing that you um, bring to the table, I think, is something that a lot of people are sometimes tasked with but have no idea how to begin. Um, well, there, there's a table and I do bring stuff. So we can start there. All right, yeah. Um, so yeah, in our little pipeline um, thing here, I guess we can start off with the first question, which is uh, what the fuck is SDLC? Launch the missiles. Uh, I guess the, the, the first thing you want to think about, right, is what is SDLC in general, right? Software development lifecycle. Oh wow, that's super cool, yeah. So most most places already have this thing in place, yeah. Uh, whether they're waterfall, agile, anything in between, um, it's it's simply a process uh, to develop software and address uh, increasing concerns and the risk and the uh, business associated with insecure software. Not insecure, but just software in general. So your SDLC is your process of development. Period. All right, cool. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, it's, it's a pretty good summary of, of it. I mean, I, it's there's a lot of, uh, uh, you know, reading reading more into it, reading sort of like components of it. Um, it kind of seems a lot more complicated than you just made it sound, but I guess. It is. What, yeah. <laughs> Brick, I guess um, can, if you just like to say to elaborate on that, uh, on that definition of the SDLC, do you want to go into uh, what makes the SSDLC different? Ooh, good one. Did you say S SDLC? Correct. Ooh, security. On. So turned on. <laughs> hey, so, so here, here's the deal. Uh, your standard kind of SDLC process, right? You'll, uh, you'll have a bunch of people in a room. They'll think they're super smart. They'll come up with some requirements to solve a problem, right? Uh, out of those requirements, they'll build a design. Uh, they'll start developing. Um, then they'll begin testing. Um, after that, they deploy. I think most of us live in that land, right? Deployment land, which is uh, the after effects of those first kind of four phases, right? Where people thought about a thing, they designed it, they built it, and they shoved it in your face. Um, that's the standard software development lifecycle. Um, the secure software development lifecycle kind of lives in parallel with that. And it's built to augment that, and not necessarily interrupt it, but be a piece of it, right? So while you do your requirements, we do our risk assessments. We kind of understand what you're building, how you're building it, what the potential impacts are. Um, while you're designing it, we start threat modeling. Um, we review, we do architectural reviews, uh, give you additional input, uh, additional requirements. Um, and then during kind of your development process when we do our static analysis. Uh, static development, it's not just, uh, I'll do static analysis on your code, I'll also do dynamic analysis on what you're building. So as you build it, 
every night or every day or whatever. I'll scan it consistently and send you results back. Um, as well as understanding your third-party libraries and kind of the supply chain of our application, right? The bill of materials. That I'll understand the methods you implement, the things that you're calling, and if those methods are vulnerable, not vulnerable, or using vulnerable libraries. Um, now, moving to the testing phase purely is kind of when we do our uh, code reviews. Uh, I would shove some sort of pen testing in there if I could. And then we'd move on to deployment, which is our assessment and configuration and continuous monitoring cycles. Is that, that sounds like a lot of this. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a sounds, really good explanation. It sounds like a really good explanation, especially from a high level point of view, which, in a way, overseeing all those components is kind of a high level position. Um, it's a, it's it's rough. Yeah. What what's the most rough part about it? Um. So it's funny you should mention that. <laughs> uh, the most rough part about this is not the process; it's the culture. Ooh, so, interesting. Yeah, yeah, I've got a lot of I got a lot of soft problems. Uh, technology can solve. 98% of what I deal with, uh, but it cannot solve process or people. Are you screaming at people that you're going to replace them with a shell script? I wish I could. <laughs> uh, so tell us a little bit more about the culture, I guess. So what kind of culture do you need to run um, your SDLC and your company successfully? Well, you mean you heard me lay out a couple of phases here, right? Risk assessment, threat modeling, review. Um, it kind of comes down to that. Just having um, having a team or a company that's engaged in those phases is, I think, the biggest the biggest piece, right? Having people that want to and need to know about security. Um, it's a cultural shift. I think. I'm not in a unique place, but I'm in the place now where this is to a company that's semi-foreign, right? They, they went many years without this. So kind of weaving this into their current SDLC, uh, especially since they're moving away from the waterfall kind of methodology into an agile methodology and just trying to find the right places of insertion is the biggest problem for me and everything else. There's, there's technology to solve. So, um, yeah. I, I this is a this is a question that I have that I often um this is something I run into during this process is uh if I know that there is a vulnerability and I've discovered a vulnerability um or a potential threat. So I've 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 marked a threat very high. Um and it's basically your logic here, uh and the the way that it's the libraries that it's implemented and some complex other shit um is a high risk, right? Uh, but you have the STLC that has to be ongoing and you have to release at some point and you, you get the response. Can you show it to me? Sure. But, but what's your CVSS have, score? Well, if you score, say you score it an eight, right? And okay. it's, and it's an eight, it's remote and it's, but it's potential. You haven't got a POC, you don't have an exploit, um, but you have an impending release. And how do you, like, do you, how, what's your process of passing that on to the people who need to be told that something needs to be done? Uh, so frankly, that's not part of the SDLC or secure SDLC, in my opinion. But to elaborate on that, once you say you test things in a lower environment to make sure they're proper before pushing out to it, you were- well, this, this whole thing is built around testing, right? It's built around consistent feedback. 
uh, to development teams, product managers, and the ilk uh, to give them the correct information to make the right decisions while they're developing. But what you just mentioned, uh, ill little index <laughs> is is actually that's part of my vulnerability management process, and that's a whole different chain or train of thought, right? If you give me a, an eight that is legitimate, we address that appropriately and we have SLAs to do so. So if you're doing that, like, do you find yourself in a hard spot as far as explaining to developers how and what they should be doing? Or do you have software that remediates that for them and you can present a solution back easily? Could you say that again slower? Okay. So <laughs> when you are testing or if you do test, are you able to translate to developers or give them something that they can often put into effect beforehand? Sure. Well, we're talking about two different things right now. Yeah. We're talking about developing a product and we're talking about a released product, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong. You're right. But in the build process, don't you push up from a lower development integration environment, QA environment up to you? Yeah, of course, of course, of course, of course. You have dev, you have staging. All that that's, yeah. that's my question. And you promote, you promote builds. Yes. Um, here's the reality. <laughs> In many places, you'll have enough debt, enough debt to not be able to actually block builds to production, right? You have to do actual risk-based assessments. So what the Windex brought up was appropriate, right? And that's why I asked what the CVSS score was. Now your CVSS might not be mine. So what I ask for is a contextual CVSS for the actual organization or the application that we're developing, not the thing that you read about on the internet. But you go and you see it, you say it's a vulnerability, and you actually score and assess it yourself. And off that, we make a risk-based assessment, and we'll inject it into the process as needed. But um, software development lifecycle, securely, is not always about bug fixing. It's about preventing bugs. Nice. So um, I guess that goes into, in, in bug prevention, if you've uh, audited a build, you've audited the same build six times, oh, sorry, not the same build, you've six, uh, six sequential builds, and you've noticed that the developers keep adding like new code, and the new code contains uh, the same terrible pattern. Um, how do you go about training them and training? Yeah. How, training. How do you bring up training. <laughs> I'll scream it more and more. Um, <laughs> I think training is training. important. Education is very important. I think all of us at some level do that on our day to day. Um, but more importantly is kind of tracking those incidents as you're calling out the patterns you notice and then doing either biannual or annual training to kind of prevent those. Um, otherwise you are chasing. I mean, there's other ways to address those problems holistically, but keeping people from making the same mistakes can only be addressed by addressing the people. And if you get a developer that says, I don't need this training, I'm the best goddamn dev in the world. Like, what do you slap him with? My dick. There's the fucking door <laughs> most of the time. I wrote a compiler. I'm the best programmer in the world. Yes, that's the right answer. I mean, yeah, I don't know what you want. But I mean, pe people who aren't willing to do their job, they get selected out usually pretty quickly. Or do they, or do they move up the ladder more quickly? <laughs> well, it depends on if I'm involved. So uh, yeah. very good. I, how I like do, that. So, so Freck, how do you deal with developers who come in and think they're hot shit and blame everything they possibly can on you? I stick my team on them, and soon they realize they're cool shit and they can't protect the things they build. <laughs> Freck is a. That, that, that all goes, 
goes back to what you're saying about culture, which is something that I feel like a lot of people who think that this sort of thing is easy might not think about because it, it's actually it, impossible. Well, yeah, but <laughs> I mean, just being having to consider that you know people aren't perfect and they don't exist in a vacuum that perfectly understands you know every every single aspect of you know secure development and yep. the OS top ten and also their pride in you know thinking that what they made is somehow insecure for some reason. Those are that's, all the aspects. that's exactly why we take the approach of augmenting their process, right? Through the SDLC. Mm -hmm. Secure yeah. SDLC as well as providing training, right? That consistent feedback loop that we provide through the secure SDLC process with our risk assessments, our threat models, our static dynamic tools and testing is supposed to help augment what they're building, right? These are yeah. things designed as feedback chains loops for them to operate on. And I think it's supposed to mimic, or, or it does very closely mimic the typical QE or QA cycle, where I build something, I get bug reports, and I fix it. Do is generate bug reports. So now, so, uh, as your SS, with your SSDLCs, are you also looking at like the CID, CD, like CICDs chains themselves, or are you simply looking at, like how far do you take the Make it into CI. I think the last step of the actual CD, but at that point, that's kind of a handoff, right? You head off to your security operations channel. You make sure you have the right tooling in place and they monitor. Sorry, what, what was that acronym? The CI, CICD? Like what is that? CICD? Continuous integration and continuous de deployment. It's the new shit, bro. Um, but that's something but that's all the Google people use. He, he's right, though. If it gets in enough to you and you're going to push it up like as high as it may be, like you need to make sure that what, you know your developers know what the hell they're doing in the first place and you're dealing with bugs beforehand and before they hit these upper environments. Well, and that's that's the goal of a secure SDLC, right? It's, it's more of a feedback loop. It's not deploying a secure piece of software. It's making sure that during the process of development, we have something that is useful from a security perspective and delivers actual value. Now, when we deploy something, that's a totally different game, right? Yeah, because that's in your fucking court. If you fuck that up or if that's fucked up by the time it gets to the upper hand, then you're the fucking person to blame. No, but but it will be fucked up. It's not even if or about. <laughs> there will be problems, right? And there's a whole other team to deal with those problems. I got to say, so we that's have, probably um... one of the best pieces of advice from the show is no matter what, it will always be fucked up. Always. <laughs> it's going to be something. Always. It's so not perfect ever. Uh, do you consider end of life as part of SSDLC? And thanks, Fred, for subscribing as well. I would consider end of life as a larger go-to-market strategy, more of a business decision. I would love for that to be part of an, S an SDLC. Um, but the more places I go, the, the more variance I get in that answer. Some places have a very strict tolerance on that. Uh, what they support and some places don't. So it's more about where you are and, and what you're developing. It's compliance standards and architecture at that point, which is obviously a shit show across the industry. Does that answer the question, dear Twitch streamer? <laughs> um, so when it comes to the sort of uh, testing, um, like the, the actual processes that you would actually take to do the an part. Yeah. What sort of approach do you actually take? So there's 
there's tons of different ways of, of doing this. There's tons of different, you know, static and dynamic analysis tools. There's all sorts of those kind of things, dependency mappers. What sort of approach do you take um, when you are building this kind of thing? Because a lot of it, it sometimes is, is trial and error, you know, for a lot of people. And they try to see so, what works for them. But I think I you just hit the nail on the head, though. Like, there's a ton of different ways, but the process is usually pretty similar. So do you want to walk through that sort of process? Sure, 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 sure. Uh, through inception, right? Uh, someone has a crazy idea. The product team's like, I'm going to build something that's going to fucking cure cancer. And you're like, hooray, let's all cure cancer. Everyone jumps on board. And they start forming an idea about this, right? And in that idea, they say, we're going to do these three things. And um, security says, that sounds reasonable. Let's continue. Now we move into kind of a design phase, right? That's where we do our threat modeling, design review, and requirements. Um, how would I, essentially we, at, at this phase, we, we aim to ensure that what you're doing and how you're doing it is secure, right? Are you using TLS, SSL, whatever you want to say, uh, is your data encrypted at rest? Are you encrypting data between nodes? Yada, yada, yada. Um, all the front end activities, are they mitigated? Um, those types of things. And then we deliver that advice essentially, right? Cause we are advisors. We are not dictators. Uh, to the developers and attempt to walk them through that. Uh, I was just going to say what happens a lot of the time is you, you know, as a DevOps person, you tend to rely or have some leeway with um, your senior development staff and what they do mitigate and what they're able to do. And that's often the person that you communicate with most in being able to resolve issues beforehand. It really depends. Yeah, it depends on where you are and who you are. I think. Yeah. Uh, in, in the unfortunate position I'm in is I, I can get across the whole product organization and the whole engineering organization and report to each staff and the board. So I've got a wide swath of crap to deal with, and this is a piece of it. Um, and I try to make sure this piece is well kept. Uh, hey, Frank, I got a question for you. Sure. What, what happens when people are deceptive or teams are deceptive and try and hide things from you? Everything comes out in the wash, friend. Oh, yeah, yeah okay. that happens a lot of the time. Though. So, so but, but, but hold, hold, hold the phone. Like, that's the next step, right, Dan? Or sorry, right, not Dan. Uh, we have <laughs> stack analysis tooling. We have uh, manual testing. I've got frameworks built around Burp. I've got a whole shit ton of other things that do open source analysis, method analysis. Like, we start picking the bits apart, right? And then we pass that back to the developer. It's not even an enforcement. Uh, motion. It's just a, here's your feedback from what you're building. Every time you build this piece of code, I'm sending you feedback. I'm telling you what third-party libraries you use, what methods you're invoking. If you're vulnerable to cross-site scripting, SQL injection, should you be sanitizing these inputs? I'm doing all of that without even lifting a finger. Yeah, I, I know what you're saying. Um, I guess what I'm more thinking of is, let's say access us, right? Like the, there's a really obvious one. And one of the developers decided to sanitize input by just looking for forward slashes, but you can bypass it with a really simple URL encoding. Right. So they're not doing adequate uh, fixing, and then they're also almost intentionally lying to you to get a green check so that their project goes forward. So, so A, you've already lie. identified the problem, right? Yeah, we were What's talking that? about the door earlier, weren't we? You've seen it, yeah? So you know it exists. So the, the deception has failed. So now what? Interesting. Okay. I, well, mean, I mean, I'm asking, is that, is that the right way to think about this? Or 
Well, I, I was just wondering how often you came across it, actually. I'm sure everybody Frequently. does. Oh, it is. Okay, cool. Yeah, and I think for, for me, I use uh, my static analysis tooling and my dynamic analysis tooling to say, we have a bucket of problems, right? Cross-site scripting is one of them. You're not participating in fixing this. So let's get a centralized library together. Let's start building filters together. Let's do these things that we have been across our whole front end to make sure this doesn't happen again. And I address that not at the development level, but at the leadership level. Yeah. So um, one of the, the problems that I run into is bug tracking across multiple teams and also keeping, uh, keeping some of the, the details um, undercover before it's time, you know, if, you, if you're busy researching a bug, you know, you don't want to have it out to the whole company that there's, you know, to the business staff that, you know, there's a potential uh, SQL injection right here, unauthenticated, right? So um, what sort of uh, steps do you try and take to do your analysis and not put it into the dev's face and, or into the business people's face until you know it's legit? And then once it's in there, how do you keep track of it? Once I know it's legit, it's full transparency. Uh, before I know it's legit, well, we're testing. We'll figure it out. But once I know it's legit, it's full transparency to the org and to the business owner. So uh, accountability is a big thing in security, right? Uh, often, more often than not, I think we are left holding the bag. That's your debt. Your security guy figured out. Or usually it's development debt. So... Um, I expose that, I bring it to light, and I encourage people to uh, come take a look. So one thing you just mentioned is uh, technical debt. What uh, what do you do with the products or in-house stuff that's been built by people that have left 20 years ago, 10 years ago, and nobody has an effing clue how it works? They just know that if they reboot the server every once in a while, it'll start working again. And why do they have access to that server in the first place and they shouldn't? Because no, they this, this keep goes, the infrastructure up. This goes back to accountability again. Yeah. Um, yeah. Establishing that accountability, it'll never end, right? Because the cycle you just mentioned is not a uh, static thing. It's really dynamic. People come, people go, people build, uh, people leave. <laughs> so. It's documentation, though, in a way, right? I, agreed. 100%. Like, assuming you have documentation, um, ensuring that you have people that are are accountable for that documentation, for that infrastructure, for that code is paramount. And I think I spend a lot of my time um, ensuring that that accountability is in place. Beautiful. You Thank don't you. think you know. Say again? I said you don't think you know. I just got that. I don't know. DevOps is quite a burden, man. Like, especially when you're is it? Is it, buddy? Is it? I've never done it before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm just saying. Like, I understand, Frick. I understand why he's so pissy yeah. talking about it in the first it's place. It's not so. pissy, man. It's it's yeah. one of those things. It's pretty cut and dry, and yeah, Tough you play love. the blame game and you play the paper trail, and you know you can only show so many people the way before you show them the fucking door. Well, if you no, can. you just you just show people things they don't want to see in a way that they like. Yeah, incentivize them for real. this email. I just had a I had a conversation with one of my guys today. He's an architect. I was like, you have to tell them the shit they don't want to hear while making them happy. Yes. Yeah, figure it out, man. At some point, you'll hear me march on soft skills all fucking day. Soft skills and culture are the things that'll move your security program forward. I don't give a fuck how smart you are. If you can't make friends and influence people, you might as well fucking quit. Dude, so true. Thank you for that. 
Next question. So one of the things that I was interested in, in hearing from you was managing this sort of thing at scale. So when you, you're talking about one, you know, application, one process, you know, and managing the actual life cycle, the release cycle, whatever. When you have multiple applications, like let's say even your retirement. Let's talk about 60. Okay. It's a good time. I know where you're going with this. I think at scale SDLC, um, most shops will have some sort of pipeline built, right? Whether it's Jenkins, GitHub, um, yeah. Garrett, uh, Travis, I don't give a shit, right? You've got some sort of repository, some sort of orchestration framework, yeah? So those are your building blocks. Start there. You want to instrument your tooling within those building blocks. If you're lucky, you'll get a centralized um, shop where everything happens through one pipeline. If you're normal, you'll get a shop that has a set of technology with 60 pipelines. Normal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so most of us are normal. So here's what you do. You pick your technologies, pick your tools. We know that uh, to deliver consistent and constant feedback to our development teams from a security perspective, the tools available to us, what they involve, static analysis, dynamic analysis, open source analysis, and what else? I'm missing one, yeah? Um, I think it's another type of analysis. Behavioral analysis. Like I just said. <laughs> oh, you prick. That's, that's tech ops. But typically for me, it's static analysis, dynamic analysis, and open source analysis tooling. I think one so, of the funniest parts about all of this, like we've as a as a society have had to break it down into these kinds of steps. But realistically speaking, if you code your your software well and with security in mind and uh, agility in mind, all those things, you're naturally just going to fall into SDLC compliance. I kind of I kind of argue with you there actually. Okay, I was just speaking off the top of my head, but. Uh, in, in, in this world that we live in, uh, the sad fact is that we can't track dependencies or train. So uh, as a developer, typically these days, this is my observation, um, you know, 50 to 80% of code that is written is not theirs, right? They pull in these third-party libraries, they uh, bootstrap them and they use them for their own means, which is good, right? There's yeah. efficiency there. However, how be there? I think right. maybe I, understanding I, those things is important. Yeah, I think I might have been making it sound like, hey, we don't need SDLC if we do this right. That's not what I meant. I just yeah, meant, you made it sound pretty easy. Yeah, I just meant to say more of if you're following good practices. Secure coding practice. Yeah, you're, you're generally going to get through the checks. So those are, easier. those are training gaps, right? Secure yeah. coding practices. Exactly. People don't come out of fucking CS classes understanding how to mitigate SQL injection or injection attacks in general, right? And I'll throw injection under XSS, SQLi. There's a whole bunch of injection, right? Um, let's just categorize them together. People don't come out of school understanding how to mitigate those attacks, uh, how to how to escape care. Like, just doesn't exist. So these things still have to be taught. So having a training regimen is actually uh, very important to your secure SDLC process. 
Yeah, yeah secure sure. development is a course coming out of college. I can I can tell you, we have people that come out at like DU all the time, which is like a private college that's renowned for programming, and these people are fucking morons. So, oh, first mistake, private college. <laughs> Second mistake, going to college. Hey, yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come I don't on, know. guys. Put that that's one what I'm first, doing right now. <laughs> Jesus. So, uh, what are some of your uh, yeah, yeah. I was just gonna ask, uh, what what are some of your favorite uh, your go to your go tos to put in a pipeline out of the box? Like something you can oh. quickly implement into any into a pipeline that will give you, say, some sort of static analysis. Can I mention paid partners? Sure. We're, not we're talking about security. Stuff. We're not talking about we're not talking about money. Uh, you shut your money. fucking face. <laughs> Uh, I mean, we all know stack analysis, right? We've got there's yeah. like two two main players in my opinion: is um, Veracode and Checkmarks. Checkmarks is still independent. Veracode was recently purchased by CA Incorporated. CA Incorporated was recently purchased also by Broadcom. So we don't know where that's going, but Veracode is a pretty solid platform as well as Checkmarks. Uh, they both have their strengths and weaknesses. But those don't count on checks marks in the long run. That's what you're saying. Right? Those are those are my main go tos in the space in the last five years. Uh, as far as like dynamic analysis, it's a fucking shit show. I won't fucking plug anybody. I think they all fucking suck. Um, I think the one person group that's emerging as a potential player uh, to provide real insight and real extensibility is Portswinger, frankly, uh, with Burp Suite Enterprise. I think they're they're not necessarily providing a super psycho fucking dynamic analysis platform, but what they are providing is a basic platform to build dynamic analysis on top of via plugins, etc. So uh, I'm a proponent of Burp Suite Enterprise. Fuck off. No, we all are actually. I think for the most part, it's a it's the one tool that. I have to have on me if I'm going to be right. So, so that's actually not Dan is the one reason I like it is because I've got a whole team of people like you. <laughs> that's awesome. Right? They all use Burp Pro and they're all familiar with it. And if they can build their own test cases of Burp Pro via plugins, etc., I can add those for better price. Um, awesome. The one thing I am not a proponent of is, is dropping HP Web Inspect on your shit, Ugh. and uh, it'll it's not wrong and wrong. They've had but a, you, they've you had have to figure it out for yourself, right? Yeah, so here's your four-page report. Three pages are relevant. Have fun. <laughs> yeah, couldn't, yeah, couldn't agree more. WebInspect, all those, all those firms have Dennis, had over providers. Ten, over ten years to fix it, and they haven't. No, it's, it's more than that. I think it's interesting though. I've seen companies start attacking different layers now. So like DNS is becoming a weapon for Dast. Uh, I kind of enjoy that, but. I'm sorry, it's, trust. Becoming, it's becoming a weapon for what? My apologies. Uh, DAST, dynamic analysis. Oh, okay, gotcha. I, I don't buy it yet. I think uh, building a, a one kind of one size fits all tool is dangerous uh, and not relevant, which is why we end up with 80%, 90% false positives in these tools, um, which consumes far more time than they're worth. Um, and on top of that, you have to buy them. So you get. So. Yeah, I, I, I kind of write it easy on Dask. Uh, Burp is something we're pursuing aggressively. Um, the one tool I'll speak to is Acunetics. I think I've seen really 
the the one tool I've seen actually pop a box alone is Acunetics. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. Like like here's your SQL injection and it works. Uh, whenever I see it in the uh, the user agent strings, I'm like, cool. Some kitty got another. I think it's pretty legit if you buy the legit enterprise version. Days. All right, nice. Not these days. I've just seen it used to legit means. Huh. I've never. I haven't. That's why. Whereas I've never seen a Qualys used to legit means or a Nessus used to legit means. Really? Okay. Web inspect used to legit means. All I do is sort through those reports and look for value. Nice. So those are those are static and dynamic. Um, after that, there's that third piece that I think a lot of people are kind of maybe not touching. It's a, it's an emerging market right now, but that's the actual analysis of your third party inventory, third party libraries, and uh, how you use them. Right. Absolutely, that's a huge thing. It's dependency mapping and figuring out what's right vulnerable. So, so that's the the first thing I laid into my my new job, um, and. It seems we have a large spread of libraries, um, and upon those, there's a large spread of transient dependencies as well, right? Which could also be vulnerable. So, understanding those libraries, um, the footprint of the libraries, your, your, your essential bill of materials, right, for your piece of software, um, the bill of materials within those libraries as well, so all their transient dependencies, uh, and the methods that you're invoking to use uh, within your software is extremely important, right? Um, so you could have a denial of service in uh, some Java package, uh, but in another package that Java package calls, there's RTE. Uh, are you using that package in a fashion in which you're vulnerable to denial of service or maybe even the RCE? Those are things you need to understand. Uh, we live in a post-Equifax world, right? Uh, where Apache kind of ruined our lives um, and shitty third-party software is definitely the first target that people go after. So thing I've, I've maintained focus on. I think that's more important than even static analysis. What's your take on struts? Is it a, is it a backdoor at this point or not? All the garbage. Okay. Well, but is it a backdoor almost? Kind of uh, right. It's going to be, yeah. I mean, it continues <laughs> to be. I've seen, I've seen four major RCs. It is a backdoor. That oh, so, so backdoor indicates, uh, what? Intentional. Way. Is that what you're saying? Is it intentional? To an extent, maybe it's intentional, the uneducated first individual, but yeah, go ahead. So uh, I'll just, just if you had, if you were dealing with an application and you, you have struts in your, and uh, there's one of your dependencies, it's built on struts. Remove right? struts. Do it. Cool, but struts, no. struts is, the, is the core component of this application. How do you mm. then? How, what do you do about it? Well, here's the shitty part about being me and about being me. Uh, fuck, fuck. Say it, say it. Security practitioner, okay? So uh, we make a risk-based analysis of this, yeah? So yeah, are we, what, we're patching. <laughs> Four CVSS 10s in 12 months. Is there, is there a mitigation? There's defense in depth. If you know what you're doing. Yes, there is. Yes, absolutely. But there's also RCE via, via third-party fucking libraries. Well, the web server that presents to the world should be so isolated from your actual shit that it doesn't matter if it gets popped. Is that how people design applications? Oh, I do. Uh, Who said that's how no, I do? You know. 
Uh, <laughs> who yeah, said okay, it? buddy. You're eating your dog food one day. Right. <laughs> you understand? We, we don't necessarily have complete control over what a third party built. Meaning, uh, if me, Freck, goes to uh, Zuff Corp and says, hey, buddy, right. I really like uh, your piece of software. It really helps right. me uh, maintain my butthole. You sound really nice to begin me. with. Yeah. Right? So those are the things that people aren't prepared for. And that's actually a yeah, but that, that, that includes problem. like That includes Linux. It includes OpenSSL. It includes PGP. It includes Android. So it includes the internet. Absolutely. So yep. you have to defend in depth and just assume that... Uh, no, I agree, I agree. But, but defense in depth in SDLC or secure SDLC are two things. And also, I might add, yeah. defense in depth is not going to save your ass with struts. It's just Correct. not. And I'm just well, I'm maintaining I'm maintaining scope here. Sorry, preventing creep. So I'm <laughs> you're not saying you're scope. wrong. I'm just saying what we're talking about is uh, secure SDLC, and, and those things are preventable in other places. I agree. So we touched uh, a lot back of that. to the original question: Is Struts a backdoor at this point? I, I don't have think to so. say. I, I don't I think so. I think it's just shittily maintained, friend. Yep. But I always tend like, towards you know uh, uh, humans being stupid rather than humans being malicious. Probably ninety ten at this point. I'm a little suspicious, but I'm pretty sure it's just humans being dumb. I think it's the volume. I think it's me. I, yeah, this is it's also press, right? So. The next time Apache is vulnerable, everyone's going to scream Equifax. But what you don't realize is that most of these Java, Java frameworks and Java libraries are actually vulnerable to RSE, especially around deserialization. So go check those CDs out because there's tens falling every fucking month from that stuff. And deserialization, oh, yeah. serialization in Java is just like an everyday thing. It's like I wake up, I breathe. I wake up, I serialize, I deserialize, I'm Java, I suck at life. That's how it works. So it's not going away. I don't think it's on purpose. I think it's just shit design coming to light. Let's uh let's talk about uh sec devops or devsecops or whatever. Yeah, what I have a good question. Is, 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 is. A good question leading into that. I'm but, fucking sure you do. Frick. So do you deal with full stack, uh, like full stack infrastructure deployments or do you just uh, deal so with it, like, it, applications it, themselves or how In is my that? role, I deal front to back. So from inception of idea to deployment, to monitoring and alerting. Fair enough, so, man. Let, let's, is, that, uh, is that your question? Cause that was funny. Yeah, that was basically my question. Yeah. Sorry. Well, can, can we just have a quick uh, rundown of like, so we got DevOps. Can you just, just explain like the same thing we did with SDLC and SSDLC? The DevOps versus Sec DevOps, please. I mean, it's like DevOps, bro, but with security. <laughs> Pretty much, it's being well, proactive. What does that mean, too. though? If, like... I were to like, if I were to say Freck, Freck is anything, it's like DevSec, SysOps, like he's full Do you know what, you know what the shit part about, about your question is? is, is what? I mean, I'll flip it back on you. What the fuck is DevOps, friend? DevOps, uh, development operations. How, no, how, no, how, no. You cannot describe a word in this fucking definition. Fuck that's off. what I'm trying. <laughs> little bit <laughs> All right, all right. So, like, the, the question. So, like, uh, are we talking about security automation, or are we talking about the secure the secure? No, 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 no. What is it? Automation. Well, all right. So let's talk about uh, automating security operations. You're wrong already. Okay, then let's talk about securing 
uh, development. Uh, sorry, let's talk about securing operations. Uh, no, 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 automation. no, stop. please stop. <laughs> now, Frank, would you say that this is? I love is... you, Frank. <laughs> Fucking asshole. <laughs> I'm not being an asshole. I'm just being. I'm being Are you sure? Are you sure Are you're you... not an asshole? Because you smell like fucking shit in this chat right now. Yeah, dude. <laughs> I'm uh, not being a little pedantic is... right now because this is actually one of my pet peeves, and it doesn't come from sex. <laughs> from DevOps. I'm just getting fucking chewed on. I feel like a damn no, dog. No, you're not. Zoof, I'm not even targeting you. I'm saying DevOps when it when it came to be, right? When, yeah, when it's Google a shit show coined, turn. No, no, no. When Google coined SRE, when, when DevOps showed up on the fucking scene and all the sysadmins had to fucking figure it out, all it really meant admins who helped developers, right? Very rarely did it mean developers who operated. Yeah? Yeah, and like secure cloud is like so, a different fucking story and a different so, fucking. So to my point, it means something different everywhere. Now, what sec DevOps means to me is again, you'll see chat. Yeah, it's, it's more of an up. enablement. Can you say that it's, again? It's, Sorry, you broke up. I really want to hear you though. Are you being serious or I have to play? Yeah, no, I'm serious. I'm no, serious. No, serious. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, so where did I drop off? Sec DevOps. What does it mean to you? Ah, yes. DevOps, what it means to me, it's, it's garbage. It's every, every company has its own tailored experience for DevOps. Yeah. And many companies just transition their operations teams or assist admins teams into DevOps roles. Only rarely did we see kind of a real hybrid DevOps role arise. Some of those companies were probably, uh, you know, like the Netflix-esque companies or Google-esque companies. Even those companies had different roles for those positions, but it was a true augmentation of development and operations, right? They, they developed, they understood the systems and targets they were deploying to, and then deployed to them in a fashion that actually worked. Uh, but most companies just said, hey, ops dude, meet this dev guy. Y'all figure out how to deploy something. It's kind of like normal fucking life. Yeah, it's like all CICD hype, and that's not what it should be focused yeah, on. That's CICD is, is a little different, except I, I, I think that between CICD, there should be a manual human check, but it is a lot like that. So I view Sec DevOps as a similar shitty process, uh, but I view it more in the terms of putting security in front of development and operations. Um, if you've looked around, you also see there's DevSecOps. Guess who does what first there? Yeah, I don't give a shit. This is a process we're talking about, right? Not a methodology or a necessary uh, religion. This is just the proliferation of security and the recognition of security within the development lifecycle. So if we talk about SDLC or secure SDLC, and we talk about DevOps or secure DevOps, we are almost talking about the damn same thing. Yeah, and we're trying to define it as it were still to this day. Don't try. Don't try. It'll just confine people. What's that? You know, the... Don't try. It'll confine people. Just fucking do things securely, man. Yeah. Here's the product I built. Let's deploy this shit securely. Yo, dog. I got uh, 15 questions. Uh, oh, so, oh, God. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you, you, found, uh, you found a couple of bugs uh, over time, and you now want to unit test them uh, so that they don't pop up again. Is, do you consider that part of like the, the CICD process or still part of your SSDLC? CICD like, process. And who, who owns that? The security team or the security developers? team? 
cool. So that's where you. There's no. There's no way in hell that the security team should not be able to bootstrap the development pipeline, right? I guarantee you, you're all doing some weird shit. What Node.js? You got Docker pipelines built in fucking team cities, right? So I can stand up a fucking image and test as well on every build. It's such it's such a like a wild west though. Did I? No, you're good. Like I was just thinking about it and sitting here literally with my fucking palm in my face. It's not even wild west. It's it's just worse, right? I mean, there's. Yeah interpretations of concepts that's what we're really dealing with yeah but the things that we all deal with are build pipelines and process we got people and technology that's what we deal with oh yeah um so i mean getting out of the the more semantic arguments about this is that um, semantic? Well, no. I mean, it's. It, <laughs> I tried to say agnostic. <laughs> well, I mean, it just. Um, I know because we, we have a lot of good points to make um, about this. And I think that you brought up a lot of really awesome things that people probably don't really consider. Um, but I guess as far as like if you are going to be like, let's say somebody wants to take what they've learned from tonight. And walk into their office tomorrow and try to implement some of your practices. Oh. What do you think? What do you think are some of the ways that people could actually do that? Because like you've you've done this before, you've designed these sort of things, and then you've gone on some new positions, and maybe you know whatever job you have doesn't necessarily employ some of these practices, or they do it in a very broken way that nobody quite knows how to fix. What sorts of ways do you suggest somebody who is actually gives a shit about this and wants to go and do something about it, what do you suggest they would do to sort of start getting the ball rolling for for both developing, you know, good culture all the way to putting good tooling in place? What's their budget? I mean, it could be any budget. But let's talk, <laughs> let, let's start. $3.50. Let's, let's talk about, let, or let's think about it as a company who might have like an older legacy application. So let's talk about zero budget. Okay. Good one. Which sucks. Yeah. Because I mean, you, you actually the best thing about this though is like it's just like my zero to hero talk, right? Um, you get a lot of fucking mileage. The OWASP suite of tools in your pipeline will give you sixty to seventy-five percent of everything. That means dependency checker uh, using Zap. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> those kind of things, just integrating them. Static analysis, hard to come by for free. Um, so augment that with training. There is free training out there, just look around. But introduce your development team to at least the OWASP top 10 and the OWASP site. Um, that'll probably get you 60% of the way, man. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that periodic table of volumes. Yeah. Um, I mean, there, there, there's a lot of that as well. But uh, everything else, I, I guarantee if you're just starting, and you throw zap between something or use dependency checker, you're going to have a year of work. Yeah. No, absolutely. For a typical enterprise app. So mainly, I think, to answer your question, it's not about what tools you use. It's about the process that you're involved in and the amount of inspection and feedback you're giving to your developers. 
So here's a good question, Freck. Um, as far as where you are, are you a part of the interview process? Are you someone who presents questions there? I'm a director. Okay, good. So meaning, yes, you are, right? That's doctor director and, to you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm a doctorate in directing. Yeah. No big deal. So yes, I'm a hiring, I'm a hiring manager. So when you look at developers, uh, are these things that you present to them as far as questions? And if I were to ask you, like, what would be your top three questions to a developer that's trying to step into a role at your company? What do you ask them in an interview? And what's what's the best thing you can present to the rest of your team? What's your favorite potato chip? Lays. Onion. Fire. What, kind of what kind of tree do you like? Pines. Ponderosa. <laughs> The ones that smell good in your house around Christmas. No, but are, so, in all honesty, what are, what are, what are, what are the three kinds of hey, cross-site scripting? Hey, come on, man. No, what, I mean, what, this, this is all very, like, situational, right? So what are you hiring for? How about that? Um, you're hiring for someone who's coming into a team that's obviously been, like, you're hiring for a product that someone's previously left for and you're wondering why and you're wondering how to remediate it. So you have people that are using the same stack or the same languages that you've been dealing with. What questions would you present to them? I don't even go to, that's not a questions. Like we've actually, we're, we're past interview questions. We're, what kind of candidate do I pick? Okay. Right? Let me go grab another beer. You probably should. Good. <laughs> What's so I'll ask you, what kind of candidate would you pick? Right, so this is a pretty open book, yeah. Uh, you've got a problem that's well defined. You say I have a thing that has not been guarded. It's written in X language. It is exposed to the internet or not exposed to the internet. Use this type of data store. So I start hiring or looking for people who have that experience. And then I interview them. I ask them uh, their experience on mitigation, uh, remediation, uh, and detection. Right. So if we're doing a one man, I want to know that he can find those things or she can find those things as well as develop, uh, deliver or develop uh, solutions. Yeah. I think the, the piece that most people get stuck on is breaking and not fixing. So then I guess uh, you would say that you're looking for someone who is might not be a fantastic coder, but also has a development background as well as the security background. If we're going for application security specifically, yeah. I think there's and there's like a there's a class of old school AppSec folk who get away with it, but I, I expect the new folks to have a, a, a coding background. So uh, with the cybersecurity type courses coming out of university, where they're teaching people basically how to how to Nessus and then Burp, um, where would you place that kind of like if you were if you had a role for that person, That's what kind tier of tier one suck? Straight Yay, up. Yay! I belong in tier one tier, suck. All tier right. One suck. No, I mean, if, if you're going to college and they show how to use Nessus, that's tier one sock. You ever thought about being a professor? Dude, you'd be like the best professor. He'll be that guy. Yeah, he'd be the asshole that everybody loves to hate. So yeah, I love Alex, that guy. Alex, Alex Stamos has occupied my position. Give me time. <laughs> so I'm not going to lie. I'm actually in the schools right now learning the software development and security, and it's been kind of fun. One thing I, they kind of been focusing on is kind of like your normal like Oracle, SQL, and pretty much your Java and all the other bullshit. It's kind of like more of the enterprise level, but yeah, pretty much like what you expect to see for your corporate enterprise be using. And it's just like, well, occasionally you can see something fun, but you ever used that before? Yes. 
Care to share your opinions on it? I, I kind of brought it up. That's what we were talking about. It's a pretty base level application. Right, yeah, so it's kind of like what they teach people to figure stuff out. Zap is great. Uh, you know why? Why? Why is it okay? Motherfucking free. Uh, I love free. Free is my favorite type of free. But, but not even for, for you, for the Enterprise. It's fucking free. Go get you a baseline, man. Have your QE fold run a fucking whole test suite proxying through fucking Zap. See what happens. You got a list of like the top things that will instantly just make your blood boil and kick out something from a review. Blood's been boiling this whole fucking talk. Yeah, kind of. Uh, well, I mean, it's probably all the things you could think of, but. Huh. More just a curious question. Basic auth. Ooh. <laughs> okay, that's a good one. <laughs> there you go. And now I'm pissed. Oh, fuck, he's pissed. All right, give him a beer. No, so he no, no. Frick's, Frick's making it. <laughs> Jesus. This is a fucking cold-hearted chat, but I appreciate it, man. It's a cold-hearted So my intention not to be cold. I'm just trying to deliver my experience. Apologies if I'm coming out wrong. Frick, I've moved oh, you're good. I still love you. It's yeah, fine. You- you come across a little different over voice only. Your 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 cadence and everything is still the same, but you're just you you're portrayed differently in real life. Is the inflection fucked up? I don't know. You can't see my face, can you? It's pretty, it's pretty fucked problem. up, but I think you know, a decade down the road I'll be the same way you are, pitching the same uh, shit to a bunch of young idiots. So I can't life say that it's too. fucked up, dude. <laughs> yeah, like honestly, like I appreciate you being as straight to the point as you are and for like pitching us. I mean this this is the world we live in. I don't think yeah, anybody could argue with me, and and I hope that we could all take something away from this at least. I'm not closing the talk. I'm just saying, what I'm saying is not new shit, man. It's not new yeah. shit, no. But like, I'm not Fre- offended. Freck is my spirit animal. He's my spirit human. Freck is my, he he's able to outpace all of us, dude. It's crazy. <laughs> Shut up. Yeah. Yo, no, no, no. Like uh, hashtag our chats. Government, like hearing, hearing you, like hear what you have to say, and yeah, it's just a lot of more. You're you're a much more outspoken person than I am, as far as when I get my talk. You're just much more straight to the point and fuck everybody else who doesn't think this way. But not noobs at all by any means. So it's, no, I it's think good to hear from a senior level person. To I, I just think there's a on. pretty set way to deal with the problems that we're facing. I think most people are catching up, right? I would even say technologies are catching up, yeah, especially in the third-party analysis uh, fields. So you've got like SNCC, you've got uh, what SourceClear that was acquired by Veracode. Um, we we live in a it's not the Wild West anymore, but it's like the fucking 1920s, man. Where people yeah. are trying to wrap their heads around it, they're starting to implement actual laws, and 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 things are actually coming into focus. No, yeah, it's in the Wild West. Well, like we're it, just it's waiting like, for prohibition to take effect, and then for us to actually start doing exactly. their and bullshit. Not even yeah, that, man. Yeah. Freck's firing the Tommy gun, and some of us are as well. But like, it's how fast can you fucking learn? What do you know? What's going on? How well can you and analyze? How it? fast can you fucking teach? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, malware to quickly teach people. Does that work? Not typically. (laughs) 
that's the best part about this though is like uh, your typical malware attacks like you'll see these big targets on uh, TV or the news or whatever right they'll all sit here we'll commiserate around them we'll laugh at them we'll all this shit but you go to your your average fortune 500 and you'll find the same shit so at what point at what point freck do you stop working for the man and decide to spin up your own thing when does that happen what the fuck? You, if ever hashtag uh trap right there no serious like what at what point do you get fed up with what's going on do you feel like you're in a position now where it gives you enough self-worth to keep pitching what you are I feel like uh, when I don't have to worry about money, I'll do that. When are we ever not worrying about money? Until then, I'm paid well enough to fucking fucking economy. <laughs> oh man, communism. Well, I think we all know who's to blame for that, and it's Obama. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't count. But I, mean, I, blame, I blame Steve Jobs. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for being on, Frank. Yeah, dude. Hey, that's all the time we have for today. Um, we should get off here uh, but thanks for coming on though and uh, giving us some straight talk about this stuff because this is uh, you know honestly there's, there's a lot of hard truths that people have to actually face and sometimes it's it's hard to hear um and you might want to you know bullshit your way around it but you know you have to, to to be successful and to be secure you have to implement some hardships sometimes yeah i love you fuck hey, face, hard face thanks for being on freak man appreciate yeah, you being on here i, I think if i was to leave you guys with like a sentence it would be it's not about technology, and it's not about what language you use. It's about <laughs> your culture and the people you work with. Correct. That was three sentences, but I still love them. <laughs> Choke on it. Hey, uh, shut the fuck up. I'm a lawyer. Yeah, shut the fuck up. Good lawyer. Don't talk to cops. <laughs> Don't talk to cops. <laughs> fuck. Yeah, fuck the police and fuck firefighters. Don't talk to cops. You'll be all right. He's a fuck the police. Yeah, fuck the police. DNZ. Aussie rap. Um, so, hey, everybody. Yeah, uh, one more thing we got next week. We have uh, a talk from a journalist who is going to talk about how about information gathering and OSINT uh, and the research behind that kind of stuff for, for tech things. Um, is this a real journalist or a blogger? Um, we're all journalists here. All journalists are bloggers. What do you? Oh, that's a serious that? question. Um, they are a real journalist. Swicker Greenberg. You know, people uh, demand that I make retractions and corrections on some of my tweets sometimes. Like, what, what? the fuck is wrong with you people? <laughs> Not Danimal is a journalist now. Yeah, apparently, I'm fucking Fox News or some shit. I don't know. Definitely Fox News. Fake news. Fake news. Are right, you? So we will be back next week. Um, again, weekendhack.in if you want to get involved in our uh ctf stream and feel free to join our discord it's in our link in bio in uh our twitter at bug crowd you can follow us on any of these platforms listed at the bottom thanks to our patreon supporters uh rob poners no cookie uh harmony and uh sterling archer and anybody else who wants to donate to us to help us offset some server costs and fund our, some uh, our subscribers as well on twitch do we have now yeah yeah let me talk to you. I'm not promising anything right now, but I think we need to actually start giving away some free shit to our uh, Patreons to incentivize them. Yeah, so if not, has I... been building in some random bullshit. Hopefully, they can enjoy it. It's uh, oh, yeah. tested right mm-hmm. now, but no promises. But I think it'll be kind of fun. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Any any of our subscribers will get some of our dark web boxes that are normally retailing for five hundred dollars in Bitcoin. Um, <laughs> All right. Cool. <laughs> but yeah, we will see you guys next week. Thanks for watching. Thanks everybody on Periscope for watching too. Uh, we'll try to get you and your chat onto here as well. So yeah, good night. Peace. Bye.